Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half-cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems, but pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code podcast15. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this, there is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth and you won't have to worry about tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. everybody. We are back with Dr. Brene Brown, who is going to be answering all of your 40,000 million <laughs> questions that you sent in. She's not going to be accountable for that, but no. she is not no. accountable. For that. <laughs> That's right. Good God. So many questions for you. Um, but guess what? I get to ask the first question. Um, so here's my question. Okay. I've been dying to ask you this question in a public forum for years because we've talked about Scared. this several times in non-public forums. <laughs> My question for you, Dr. Brene Brown, is about the way women's work is defined and perceived and translated in the world compared to men's. You and I have talked about mm. our slight, mm. just minor frustrations around the phenomenon of our male counterparts in the world often being defined as so many things, leadership experts, et cetera, et cetera. While no matter what we introduce ourselves as, we are often defined, and I've even seen you defined many places as a self-help guru. Mm -hmm. Can you just, because I'm sure that there are many people who would think, why is that even an issue? Why is that? What? What? Can you just talk to us a little bit about your thoughts about 
how your work is defined in the world compared to counterparts and how misogyny is is laced in a lot of that. Yeah, I'm so bad just even thinking about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because look, I have $125,000 in student loans. I went to school after I graduated for college for like seven years. Like anyone that does what I do would be, any man that does what I do would be called a social scientist, researcher. They would never, you know, like, like there was a headline in the UK that said self-help queen. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just, it's diminishing. Yep. And social scientist queen, great. Send me a tiara or whatever. I'll wear that. (laughs) Great. I'll stick my data right up there. It's twofold for me. One, it's just the patriarchal gendering of me. Mm -hmm. But then it's also dismissing from a long history of rational thought over emotion. It's dismissing my work as quaint and mm-hmm. secondary and soft skills and optional women's you know, work. I write it <laughs> women's, women's work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 oh my God. Oh my God. Don't ever put those two words together in front. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, and it's so hard because it's like, I write dare to lead and dare to lead has been a really big book, but so many people in the beginning said, you know, it's like women write, women read, leadership books by men and women. Men read leadership books by men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, I don't even like the gender binary part of that story, but it's, I don't, I don't get it. It's not that, it's not that you feel less. Mm -hmm. It's not that your lack of paying attention and your lack of self-awareness around your emotion is benign. You're hurting people. Yep. You know, and you think this is soft skills. So let me give you two options. You can take three days and you can study PowerPoint or you can study three days and we can talk about shame and the diminishing feelings inside you and how it's leading you into power over as a leader. They're going to pick PowerPoint every time. That's the soft, that's the soft class. Mm, You know, mm -hmm. it's a passive, aggressive, gendered, jab that I just cannot tolerate. I can't stand it. Yeah. And it's a jab, not just to you, but I think if, if you're in a, in a place where you're, you are writing to mostly women or your women are, Mm -hmm. are, um, consuming your work, it's insulting to them to call everything we do self-help. If it's for men, it's about how to like conquer the world right? How to use what they have, right? Mm -hmm. How to use what they have to conquer the world. But if it's for women, we're just such neurotic messes that we just have to fix what's inside of ourselves real quick before we, right? Like the idea that everything we do is self-help is so misogynistic to everyone who even receives our work. The word that keeps coming to mind is dismissive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Self-perpetuating too. I mean, it's yes. similar yes. to the way Abby's, you know, women's sports don't make as much. Well, A, they do, but B, it's because the marketing dollars and the channels you put them on and all of the, like it, it takes the investment to get the return. And when mm-hmm. you assume 
as a publishing company or whatever ventures that you're in, oh, that this cute thing from Dr. Brown is going to be for these ladies over here. They're not making the investment. They aren't marking it as yes. if it is what it is mm-hmm. to the world. I mean, it's, do you know that when I was, oh my God, when I, the first book I wrote, I couldn't get, I couldn't even get an agent, much less a publisher. So I borrowed money and I self-published it and I paid an extra $30 at a writing conference to have like an audience with an, with a real New York city agent. And it was so funny because he said, first of all, he said, don't use humor in your work. There's nothing funny about shame. Nietzsche once said, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, we'd be interested if you would be willing to turn it, the book on women and shame to women's most embarrassing moments. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so good. You can't mm-hmm. make it up. No. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Like that, remember that time that tampon fell out and I yes. was walking and it went down? I mean, like, I don't, I don't even, I don't, what does that mean? <laughs> same, same. Like, like so similar to your actual work is that vibe. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Well, mm-hmm. I remember when my, when my last book came out, the New York Times article said, Glennon Doyle releases another memoir, question mark, question mark. Okay. And then David Sedaris came out with his 48th book the next week. And it was like, David Sedaris reveals blah, 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 like, yay. And it was just like, in the title, it was like, is she going to say another damn thing? She's going to say another thing? She's three things. Is she still talking? She's still, why are we letting her talk more? But like, when it's a man and he's on his 60th book, it's just amazing to me how men, um, you know, I'll do interviews and they'll, and, and they'll say, um, do you ever worry that it's just like narcissistic to keep talking about yourself? I'm like, wow, men talk about their lives and it's, it's, it's a reflection on the human experience. Women keep talking about their lives and it's narcissism. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, oh my God. It's just, yeah, it's, it, I, yeah. I mean, I remember I reached out to you. I did not, I don't even think I knew you that well. And I read something that said Christian mommy blogger. Oh, dear God, it'll be on my motherfucking tombstone, no matter what <laughs> else I do. And Brene, yeah, at- they only did that. That only came out when we started, when we got together. Because some, talk about propagating, some person wrote a, a headline because what's the most shocking clickbaity thing we can put with Abby Wambach? A Christian mommy blogger, right? To be in a lesbian relationship. So one person put it in a headline and then that's all I was called for five years. I wasn't a mommy blogger anymore. I don't even know if I was a Christian anymore. Like, (laughs) it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, it it is. It is. And sometimes I can talk about it like this and be okay. But sometimes I'm like in a corner crying. Like sometimes I'm, you know, I, I did Texas Monthly which is a big thing in Texas. Like, you know, Texas Monthly did a cover story and it had a picture of me, an illustration, like I was looking kind of into the clouds and it said, the the journalist kept saying, you know, as a therapist, I'm like, I'm not a therapist. Mm-hmm. Like, don't call, like, like, I go to a therapist. I love therapists. I train therapists, but I'm a, I'm a researcher. I'm not a clinician. I'm a researcher. I'm a, I'm a social scientist. And so it said, America's favorite therapist. And then in parentheses on the front of the thing, on the front, it said, but for heaven's sakes, don't call her that. Oh (gasps) my God. Oh, because she's also real touchy. She's She's real touchy. That's exactly it. 
it's important to just recognize for every person when when language matters mm-hmm. and then when people are assigning us roles and assigning who we are to us yes. when it is not true of our experience and we are seen as touchy overly sensitive or precious mm-hmm. when we clarify who we are in the world Mm-hmm. That is a universal God. issue that women face, I think. I love the point that you're making, Amanda, because I have a real shame trigger for me, just family of origin stuff about being high maintenance. Mm-hmm. Like when we were growing up, high maintenance was like not a good thing to be. Like it's like, hey, we're going. And it's like all the girls, baseball caps on, ponytails in the car in five minutes. There was just no dilly-dallying. Like if we were on a road trip, you had to go to the bathroom, but the, you know, the, it was across the freeway on the other direction. You're like, it's tough shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're going. Hold it. And so, yeah, hold it, hold mm-hmm. it. And so when I say, you know what, can you not refer to me that way? You're like, oh, sorry. She's kind of high maintenance. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, am I? I feel like it's integral to all of the work. I mean, how are we supposed to be people who set boundaries to say, to know where our edges are, but yet we're supposed to be when the world tells us who we are, when the world tells us where we belong, we're supposed to turn into this amorphous, just yes. fitting in wherever we may be. And yeah, I mean, the whole book, Atlas of the Heart, is about using specific language to tell you who I am. But then when she tells the world literally who she is, <laughs> they don't get to like, they don't have to use that. It's so important Mm-mm. when people tell us who they are to believe them and to, to use that them. language. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm for it. So many things in our lives change, but not our love for Viore clothing. I love this ad. We're so glad that they continue to support the show. It's true. Abby is obsessed with Viore. I am a little bit too. Do you think you have a favorite item? Ugh. They're t-shirts. They never get less soft. They're just perfect for everything, for going to dinner, for actively going for a walk, for working out, whatever you want to do. They're the I, best. Sleep actually, in them. You you wear them to work out and you wear them out to dinner. That is true. I wear Viore tops. All day, every day. And you day. wear them under suits and you wear them yes. to bed. It's everything. Okay. I mean, I love them, but it's not easy to find clothes that look sleek and feel comfortable. I mean, I can use them everywhere and anywhere I go. Viori is an investment in your happiness. I promise you. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase, plus free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash hard things. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hard things. You won't be sorry. Let's go to one of the 40, 100,000 trillion questions that, that our pod squad asked Dr. Brene Brown. I'm ready. Hi, my name is Carolyn, and I am calling for a question for Brene. And I wanted to ask you about personal evolution and guilt. It's a wonderful thing to work on ourselves, to do hard things, and to evolve as a person in whatever time we get with our one precious life. I've found that sometimes that can come with a sneaky side effect of guilt, uh, when the evolution can mean leaving parts of our life and, and even relationships and friendships behind. And I was wondering, Brene, if you have any advice for embracing our evolved selves. Thank you, Brene, and thank you, Glennon, sister, and Abby. You are loved. 
Have a great day. Yeah. Um, you know, I think back to in social work, we study systems theory and we there for every change and for every shift and for every boundary, there's reverberations. I maybe 10 years ago used to be more cavalier about you just have to do what's best for you and, you know, hope that other people can appreciate that. And if they can't appreciate it, I hope they can just respect it. I think when we make changes and we evolve and we figure out who we are, I think that path always includes some grief. Mm. You know, and I think that we don't talk about grief as a part of change enough. And I think when we don't do that and it does people a real disservice because then when they hit grief, they think they've done something wrong yep. or they think I, I didn't, I didn't know this was going to be coming and I didn't, and I am changing for the better, but you know, look, I've, I've had to, I've done everything from completely lost relationships that were important to me to having to really reconfigure and recalibrate relationships in a way that where they exist, but they don't look or feel like they used to. And there's always been some grief in that and questioning myself. And I think about this personally in my own life. I think about this in the research. I think about this in the leadership work I do. Change is often, actually change is always, I'm Mm. trying to think about being hyperbolic, but change is always or always includes a mm, a series of small deaths. Mm-hmm. And if we don't understand that grief is going to be a part of change and that loss is going to be a part of change, I don't think we can successfully evolve. And I don't think we're doing people a favor by not saying there's going to be some loss. Even if that. it's the death of an expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, like I set this boundary and I really expected this person to say, I respect that boundary and I want to make this new relationship work with this boundary in place. And they never show up like that. There's a death there. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's so helpful. Death Just the expectation. expectation. Because, but also there's a death either way. Yes. Is important yeah. to remember yeah. because yeah. if you don't choose the change. If you don't oh, yeah. choose yourself, then there's a death happening that way also, which is whatever you were about to become. Yeah. So death right. this way, death this way. Choose your death. Choose the right death. Choose, yeah. Choose your death and maybe be guided by the possibility of rebirth as you yeah. choose your death. Damn. You know, and I don't know that we can birth what we don't have some control over. Mm. You know, so I'm always going to choose... And sometimes it'll take me 10 minutes and sometimes it'll take me a decade, mm-hmm. you know, to make those choices. That loss is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to Kim. Kim, are you there? How do you know when to quit? Um, and because I feel like I beat a dead horse until it has gone to dust and ashes um, and I stay in things too long. So I just, you know, I, I think... The fear of change is probably a reason why, but, you know, I just don't know when you know when to walk away um, from a job, from anything. It's not just like relationships or anything like that. So thank you. 
I think it goes back to the first question as well from Caroline, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me and what I see in the research is the question of, and I think about you, Abby, a lot around this, because I actually think about sport in general, but you know, I have to say just for the record that Wolfpack was the most impactful leadership. I've read 5,797 <laughs> research books. I don't think anything changed my life as much as Wolfpack. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Brene, get out of here. No, so, no, no, sweet. I don't. I don't. I don't think it was like, like I get teary eyed thinking about it. It was so monumentally just impactful and useful and really changed me, changed who I am as a person, um, wow. as a parent, the way I, in my, you know, partnership with Steve. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It's, I think that thing that when we find ourselves just not letting go and wondering why am I, you know, I think it's the question of fear. Mm. And I, I always ask myself when I find myself charging towards something over and over or running away from something over and over, like, what's the fear? Mm. You know, what is the fear? Like, if, if I let this go, if I stop doing this, what's the fear? And I think if when we can surface the thing that we're most afraid of, that's the most, that, you know, a love affair with the thing you're most afraid of, there's nothing more powerful than that. Than just not running from that thing, but saying, mm. I'm going to invite you to be with me, this thing that I'm the most afraid of, and teach me, like, what is it that, what what am I doing? And I think sometimes we're so afraid to name, we, you know, we hold on to the job or the relationship or the hope, the expectation, the dream, because we don't understand the fear that's right under letting go of it. Um, hmm. Yeah. Dang. But I, 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 right I, about, I think about go. your work a, a lot. Um, let me just tell you this weird story. This is a very weird aside from the question. But so I, I was a competitive swimmer. Any sport I did, you can start with competitive. So it's just my nature. Yeah. Yeah. But not high level, like not like, you know, a professional or even uh, you know, D1 athlete. Just just whatever. I'm gonna beat you. Um, wherever I play. No matter. <laughs> I but love that. Yeah, it's 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 really good and it's terrible. But um, so tennis, and then I just took up pickleball. Mm. And Abby, have you played pickleball? I have not played pickleball, but I know of it. It was it's like huge in Naples. So mm-hmm. so when oh we my god, there, that's the capital of pickleball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's Naples is pickle the capital ball. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so this is my fear. This is my my love affair with my fear. So I played a lot during, and as an ex tennis player, it's great. Cause it's, you know, less hard. I, I, I thought so theoretically, but it's probably still pretty hard um, on your body, but <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to be a four player by this time. And I'm doing this. And then all of a sudden I'm in COVID playing and we go someday cause it's rain. We go one day cause it's raining to an indoor pickleball place. And there's four of us, it's me, my sister, and then, 
my coach, and then another friend of ours in Austin. And you don't get a court with all four people. You lay your paddle down. It's open play. And we <gasps> call two people at a time and you play. It's the first time I've been in public in a year. So people are already like, oh, hey, oh my God, I love your work. And they're taking pictures of me. And I get on the pickleball court and we do you know, like, these two paddles. I hold them up. I'm like, oh shit, those are ours. So I go and these two guys are like, oh God. These two men. Uh, and when you serve in pickleball, you just put the ball into play. It's nothing fancy. You're not tying like a tennis ace. You just put the ball into play. Seven faults in a row. Seven mm-hmm. faults in a row. Mm-hmm. Just wrong side of the court. And the guys are like, of course, like this, we draw these Ugh. two women, you know. Ugh. And I fucking Daria, hate those my, guys. I hate those guys. Yes. Yeah. I hate those guys. Fucking hate <sighs> those guys. So uh, they don't know because we haven't been able to play because I'm faulting everything. <laughs> um, that the person with me is a professional pickleball player, D1 college coach, coach at UT. And, you know, she goes, she just looks at me and she goes, what are you afraid of? Uh, and I said, you know, mm. I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. And she said, you know, she goes total sports psychology on me, focus on the task, bounce the ball, hit the ball, bounce the ball, hit the ball. And I said, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of being filmed. I'm afraid of people putting me on YouTube. I'm afraid of, you know, Brene Brown, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of, oh my God, I'm afraid of letting down these fuckers. I don't even know mm. at this pickleball place, you know? And then I was like, okay. And I literally just kind of grabbed this air and I was like, okay, fear. And I stuck it in my pocket and I was like, okay. And then I just played. We beat them, of course. Fuck um, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was but, hoping that's how you like me now. Check right. yeah. pickleball, boys. <laughs> yeah. But it was, and I, I talked to Pippa Grange about it, the sports psychologist. And she's like, you know, you got to befriend the fear. It's telling you something, mm-hmm. probably trying to protect you from when you didn't have agency as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, but what are you afraid of? So good. Mm-hmm. Gosh, oh, so gosh. That reminds me of that part of your book where you said anger is a wonderful catalyst, but a terrible companion. It's like, oh yeah. If the thing, which is, you know, will be on my tombstone, but like the, <laughs> the idea of like that fear being a catalyst to be like, what is it? As opposed to like, yeah. I'm just going to be with it. I'm just going to mm. let this just be with me and define my experience for this whole time. Yeah. And not letting go of something is not a good catalyst. Because it, yeah. you don't know what the emotion is underneath it. Yes. So what's the fear? What's the shame? That's the catalyst. And then you'll get the decision whether to let go or not or keep gritting away. But, mm. you know, big difference between grit and grind. At some Can point, you, you got to stop the grind. Say something about that. I need to know the difference between grit and grind. <laughs> More, please. You know, grit, I mean, I'm thinking of Angela Duckworth's construct here, but mm-hmm. grit People who have a ton of grit walk away from stuff often. Mm. They're not afraid to say, this is not working. This is not what I thought. I'm, I'm changing course. I'm pivoting. Um, I'm letting this go. Grind is much more externally focused than grit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Grit is, this is about me. This is about my grit. This is about... Grind is what will people think? Holy shit. This is so fucking transformative for me because it's exactly the thing that I've been working on 
in the last five years of retiring from playing sports, I was grinding Mm -hmm. as an athlete Mm. because I was so focused on the external, what people Mm. thought of me, the rewards that I would get externally. And then over the last five years, because I don't have that audience, literally, I've been working so much on the grit and being able to say, you know what, that actually isn't working for me. So when I suck at commentating, when I first retired on ESPN, I hated it. I hated every second of it. And I also got the feedback that it was really terrible on Twitter and Instagram. (laughs) Um, And I thought, okay, this just isn't for me. And I just left it. And so now I find myself doing things that that's really, really fascinating. That are for you inside. Yeah. That you know the right kind of heart or the wrong kind of heart. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because And I can be disciplined. Like I go surfing every day, even though I suck because I want to, I have grit because I want to figure that's it out. That's grit. Yes. Yeah. That's grit. That's yeah. grit. Like waves up, you know, up your back, yeah. salt water up your nose, can't breathe. Fuck, I don't want to go today. Yeah. That's yeah. grit. Yeah. With no because one it's just you. Yeah. Because it's you, the board and the wave. That's mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. And to watch you play, like my sisters and I did obsessively, um, that was grit. So good. Like, like, yeah, you could say, like, she really doesn't give a shit what any of us thinks. It's, you know, her, the pitch, the ball. I wonder if she even knows we're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I did. I had a, you know I had a mean? little vanity in me, for sure. <laughs> But the difference between grit and grind, it's really big. I love that, Brene. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. I know I've been there before and I feel like I'm always expected to know everything despite having all of these questions. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, good news. Now all that info is in one place on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools with info like student to teacher ratios. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Okay, you guys, let's hear from Danielle. Hi, everyone. My name is Danielle. My question is around boundaries. So I know boundaries are super important. I can set boundaries. But how do I tell people what my boundaries are? I feel very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable being like, hey, uh, I have boundaries. This is what they are. Can you please follow them? So I'm not understanding how to do that in a way that is comfortable for people to get my boundaries across. And that is my question. Thank you so much. Boundaries. Uh, listen to Brene's podcast. Yes. Very good at this. Concrete, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. concrete instructions. I, I do give really, I, do, I set really concrete boundaries, but I don't think I've ever used the word boundary. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yep. In setting them. Really? I think that's really 
complicated and hard and could set you up for a not good conversation. Um, So I think that the setting of boundaries is about, I wish she was on the phone so we could role play one together, but. Mm. I'll role play with um, you. Yeah. Okay, great. So what's something, what's something you're worried about? Okay. Let's say there's a. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's we don't have enough time for that for now. Let's say, well, the holidays are coming. So let's yeah. say a lot of people are trying to set boundaries with family, like people yeah. who say inappropriate things or say I'm a person who is single and my mom is always bringing up marriage in ways that make mm-hmm. me um uncomfortable. How how yeah. do I how do I talk to my mom about stop saying stupid shit? Yeah. <laughs> so Hey, mom, I'm super excited. I'm going to get in Wednesday. I'll be there probably about noon. I cannot wait to see y'all. One thing I want to let you know is I know you love me. And I know you think a lot about me finding a partner. And I love that you think about me and you worry about me. It's okay to do that. What's not okay is to talk about it with me. Mm -hmm. You can worry about me. You can think about it all the time. You can have a ton of questions that's okay. What's not okay is to bring the questions to me and to talk about it in front of other people, even with me. You can talk about it with, you know, Aunt Julie, you can talk about it with whomever. I don't want to be in that conversation. Mm. Okay. Then in your research, what is the next thing that mom says that is so hurtful and not (laughs) accepting of this boundary? What do they say next? Like, well, you're so sensitive or. Yeah. Let's, yeah. I mean, you're, you know, Oh, come on. Like, mm. you, you know, come on. We're just, you know, we love you. And, you know, and we were just, we're just having a good time. And, you know, I just think you're just, what a catch you are. <laughs> oh God, mom, I, I, I hear you and I love you too. And I love that you think I'm a great catch. That's, that means the world to me. I'm going to ask you again. I don't want to talk about that. It's hurtful to me. So I'm mm. going to say it's okay that you think about it and worry about it. It's not okay that we talk about it at dinner. Mm. Excellent. And then I have one more follow-up question. Yeah. The thing that people say over and over again, as if it's some kind of antidote to everything painful and shameful that we say to each other is this word. Oh, we're just joking. It's just a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do we say? Is there? Some, I do that. I mean- and I love how you, the, how you talk about sarcasm in the book too, and how that can be so mm-hmm. dangerous to relationships. When someone says, I'm just joking, as if that's a permission slip to say whatever you want. What is a way we can approach that whole concept? Because it stops so, conversations. Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple things. So I think one of the most powerful things about a boundary that people forget is people think boundaries are just what's not okay. Mm-hmm. When we tell people what is okay, when we tell someone, look, hey, this this true this is a true story. Um, always had a Christmas party when Ellen was in elementary school, invited a lot of the folks from the neighborhood and just people that were not really friends, but you know, you know how you become just a community, mm-hmm. our kids go to school together kind of thing. Yep. Uh talk of talk of the neighborhood for a while was someone who drank a whole lot. You know, it was funny. Everyone was joking because, you know, passed out at book club, those kind of things. Not, you know, not not ever funny for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had two choices. I had given up, I had given up gossiping for Lent that year. Oh. And which was really hard. It was a very quiet 40 days and 40 <laughs> nights. Um, and I realized I, yeah, I realized I had like no friends at all, really. Because I was like, what, are, what am I talking about with most of these people, except for other people? I don't really like any, you know, and uh. so- 
so interesting. Uh-huh. So because that helpful. So it was a very spiritual practice for me to give up gossiping. So then I thought, oh man, what am I going to do with this person at the holiday party? So I actually asked her to talk to her after drop-off one day and said, I'm super excited about you and husband and kids coming to the party. Can't wait to see you. I'm going to have to ask that you don't drink at the party this year. Wow. Yeah. And she said, ha ha, I get it. I was a little wasted last year. Um, I'll take it easy. I said, I'm not asking you to take it easy. I'm saying, I really want you to come. I really want to see your husband, your kids. I really want y'all to be there. But I'm asking that if you come, that you not drink at all. And she said, are you telling me that I cannot drink a drop of liquor if I come to your party? And I said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm saying that I hope you come. She said, I wouldn't (laughs) come to your party. It was the last fucking party in the world. And I said, I'm sorry. And I get it. Mm. And I miss seeing you there. I'm missing you there. And that was it. We never spoke again. But, you know, and I'll tell you the, the the story is she ended up in a very tragic situation in rehab about a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, there are just times when we have to choose, you know, what are what are the choices there? Mm-hmm. Are the choices I don't invite her? God, that's that's painful. That's so painful for that person. So painful. Are the choices I invite her, but I don't, I don't let any liquor in the house. Well, maybe, and I don't, we actually don't serve a lot of booze at anything, but I think this was like a BYOB is what we usually did, but I'm not going to do that because I don't, I don't see a reason to do that. And she's not going to control the whole party. Right. Exactly. Do I let her come and let her get drunk again, which is really weird for my kids because I've been sober before they were born. And so Mm -hmm. they, and and Steve drinks a 12 pack a year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so w- what are my options? That's my only ethical in my integrity mm-hmm. option is to be yep. honest with her. So I think the whole, I love that you think I'm a catch. I love how much you love me. Mm-hmm. I love that you're worried about me. That's okay. And I appreciate it. Not okay to talk about me. Mm-hmm. I want you to come to the party. The joke thing is as a family that comes from, joking and teasing that always ends up in tears. Mm-hmm. I think when someone says, and we're really good at it, we've honed the craft of, you know, I think when someone says, I'm just joking. And you can say, you know what? I get it. And it's tricky in our family because we have so much fun giving each other a hard time. This is not funny for me. Mm-hmm. This is, this hurts me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to ask you not to do it. And if we have to make joking off limits, I'm willing to do that and that will be hard, but I'm going to ask that we make joking about this off limits. It's mm. not funny for me. Mm. That's good. Renee Brown teaches us clear as kind. Pod squad, we know about you. You, like us, pamper your pups with clothes, fluffy beds, toys all the days, any little thing their goodest hearts desires. Why then would we settle for burnt, smelly pellets in their dog dishes? Maybe you don't. Maybe you go with the farmer's dog like I do for Seamus, and you reap the benefits of giving your dog real, fresh, healthy food. 
It looks like real food because it is real food. It's made with human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. It's even fun signing up. You answer questions about your dog, like what health issues they might have, how old they are, what breed and personality they have, and more. You're not only getting fresh pre-portioned food, you're getting fresh pre-portioned food for your specific dog. And your dog may just have a newfound respect for their human too. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. Food made in human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. Maybe more. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. We have to go to rapid fire because yes. we have like very go. few minutes okay. left. Three with, minutes with, left. We, okay. we cherish your time. Okay. I'm okay. still trying to get over that varsity level shit of that telling that woman. I'm like, wow. I'm going to think about it for the rest of my life. Okay. Oh, um, so good. Dr. Brene Brown, what's the one emotion that's hardest for you to carry? Fear. What's the one emotion hardest for you to receive in others? Fear. <laughs> Who makes you laugh? My sisters. <laughs> Same. <laughs> It, Abby gets jealous about how much sister Ugh. makes me laugh. What's Ugh. the thing about yourself that you find most challenging? Mm. I'm, I can be scary when I'm scared. Mm. Ooh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. What color brings you the most joy? Teal or turquoise. Ooh. What's your favorite place on earth? Like Travis. If you could have dinner with any person dead or alive, who would it be? My Mima. What's your zodiac sign? Scorpio. Mm. Mm, interesting. What has been your best Halloween costume? I don't do Halloween. <laughs> Me <laughs> if neither. You, if you had to get a tattoo, if you had to, like today, someone who said they're coming and they're, they're going to do the thing, what would it be? God. <laughs> God, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> How yeah. do you decompress after a stressful day? Pickleball. Love that. What song, we know music is very important to you. What song is at the top of your play playlist right now? Oh my God. Um, at the top of my playlist right now is, oh, Brandy Carlisle. Oh. We love her. I mean, and to end with Brandy, let us end with Brandy. Yeah. It all begins and ends with Brandy. Ends with Brandy. Um, <laughs> That's it. Dr. Brene Brown, we are so mm. flipping grateful for you. And, and I just want to say real quick, I don't even know. Just as we end, what the world needs to know about you, Dr. Brene Brown, is that besides what you already know about her, most of the time when I'm talking to someone who's in this world, but is like not as far ahead, <laughs> they say to me, well, I just had a call with Brene Brown and she told me this. And then the next person's <laughs> like, well, I just had a, I just had a zoom with Brene Brown. What you do for people behind the scenes yeah. is real and true and beautiful. And nobody gets to see that. 
And so rarely do we see people who are even more of who they are when no one is watching. And that is who you are. Mm. And we love you for it forever. Thank you. Man, thank y'all so much. I just love y'all. And I'm glad we're all here at the same time making our way. Yeah. Before we head out, let's please hear from our pod squatter of the week. This is my favorite time. (laughs) Hi, Glenn and Amanda and Abby. My name is Sarah. Uh, This morning I was having a really crazy stressed morning as most moms I'm sure experience a couple of times a week. I was trying to get my three-year-old and my seven-month-old ready to go over to their grandma's house for the day, trying to pack up all their things and I was just running around and I know that my three-year-old, who's very intelligent and emotionally in tune, could see the stress on my face. He came over to me and he hugged my leg and he said, I love you, mommy. It's going to be okay because we can do hard oh. things. And obviously that just stopped me completely in my tracks. Um, he was like, you use the advice that I gave you, which Glennon gave to me, um, back onto myself and... It was just a really incredible moment. So I just wanted to say thank you for filling my soul and my heart every week with your podcast. Um, it's really obviously made a difference not only in my life, but my children's lives and the way that we can communicate to each other and share information. So I'm looking forward to continuing to listen to your podcast in the future and please make them for the rest of eternity. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great day. I love that Aww. so much. I I just think about that little moment mm-hmm. and how how I just think it's so cool that this podcast has and can do things like that. It's and, just incredible. And isn't it cool how we forget? We know things and then we forget and then somebody in our life just walks right back up to us and reminds us of something we already know. Mm-hmm. We just are we that's what we're doing for each other, right? We're just reminding each other forget. And then remember, forget and then remember. (laughs) All right. When you forget this week that you can do hard things, don't forget. You can. We love you. We'll see you back next week. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.